Warning, this episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Lexi Signor. Lexi is truly one of a kind. She's bold and brash both on and off the stage, but she's also highly intelligent and introspective. Lexi is a champion for equal rights on the bandstand and in the halls of higher education. Lexi's a passionate educator and a gifted player and composer. In fact, you're listening to her work right now. And one thing's for sure, when Lexi's around, the laughs abound. So, pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. Welcome to this episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang, and I am joined by my good friend Lexi Signor. Lexi, sup, girl? You know, two-letter word indicating direction. Normally, Uh, it's the opposite of down, but lately, I'm not entirely sure. (laughs) mm -hmm. So, uh, this this is interesting because uh, you are the first repeat guest here on the Hang. I feel special. Uh, you are. You are very special. So uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, when I first started uh, planning for The Hang, which was pre-COVID, if, if there was such a time, it was like way, way in the, yeah, BC, before COVID, um, my, uh, my first guests were uh, Lexi and, and Jay Webb. And uh, we we actually did that. That was the first episode that that I actually recorded. I pre-recorded it, and I was scheduling for the release. And I didn't realize at that time that you know the world was going to go sideways. And so we only did an audio recording. And uh, my thought was, as we went on with the hang, it was just going to be me going out to, to different places and sitting down and doing all these these audio podcasts. Now it's turned into a video thing. So I never had any video of you. So you know, I figured. We need to see that smiling face. Hi. <laughs> Hi, world. Uh, Thanks for having me back. Yeah. You know, and, and besides the fact that you're always just a, a great hang. So, I try. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, only, the only bad part is that we can't go out and get something to eat. Uh, Dude, that. for real. I just I just made a pretty bitch and quiche. So that's what I was finishing as you were like, oh, hey, let's do the thing. And I'm like, I'm quiche. Yeah. Well. So. Hey, it's all good. It's all good. So, how are you managing uh, in the? Because right now we're we're in probably. Yeah, I thought it was bad at the beginning of this, but it's way worse. So, I mean, how are you managing with that? Um, in general, I'm I'm doing really well actually. Um, because I had already been teaching online privately. Um, the sort of switching back and forth and then zooming like half zoom one day, half in person the other and like in the next day, I, I tend to roll with the punches a little bit better than most just because I've had more practice doing it, I think. Um, it's a little bit, a lot of bit weird to just not have a ton of human interaction. Although Indiana State has been 100% in person this entire time. And that has actually been the thing vexing me. It's just that we're all sort of in danger constantly. And, you know, the powers that be 
just don't see this as a problem. And it very clearly is. So that has been challenging um, to be lenient with my students, but not so lenient that, you know, they get away with murder. Um, you know, it's, it's a terribly gray existence. You know, it's just, you gotta be right in the, the gray zone a lot of the time. And um, so, yeah, in general, I mean, school's going well. Uh, I've got a lot of side projects that have actually gotten done now. So that's nice. <laughs> no, the dissertation isn't done yet, but, but I do have really cool interviews lined up that will help me finish that project. So, yay. <laughs> hey, it's the small victories. It's the small victories. We, get, we just got to take those. Um, and, uh, you know, before, before we started rolling, you were, you were discussing what you had there in the glass. So why don't you, why don't you share with, uh, with the rest of the hang what yeah, you've got in the glass? Absolutely. So this, I didn't even know this existed. My friend Kelly, um, she is the equipment specialist here. She is a musicologist. She's an incredible music historian. Um, she and I hang out pretty frequently. I mean, especially before everything kind of shut down a second time, we would do like weekly hangs. And she was like, oh, I'm gonna bring, I'm gonna bring sipping cream to your, to your birthday hang. And I'm like, what is sipping cream? That sounds like a euphemism. Like, I'm not sure I need a jar of that in my life, really. Um, and she's like, no, 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 it's moonshine. But they make like a, like a cordial out of it. And yes, I have an entire giant glass of cordial. If that's any like, you know, sign of the times, I think this is 2020 in a glass. Um, yeah, but it's moonshine and it tastes like banana cream pie. Mm. I got to get some of that. I got to get some of that. that you that's really do. I'll let you know what the company is. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but yeah, for sure. We we'll have, we'll have to put it in the links. So uh, anybody who's interested in finding that, uh, you know, may, yeah, maybe, they're based maybe, in Gatlinburg, I, I guess. So maybe, being hey, that we're that close, so maybe we'll get a you know get a deal with them or something. You know, they'll 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 give us some swag. I'd be so into that. They've got these really cute like brown mason jars that they sell this stuff in and each mason jar, like every flavor has its own like little like old timey ma uh, animal mascot. So it, it looks like those, um, the sketches from the, the farmer's almanac when they would draw animals and such Right. It's in that style. It's really cute. So yeah, cool. maybe we'll get some like cool sipping cream swag. Yo. <laughs> hey, so, uh, I was, uh, you know, I, I keep up with you, you know, and see, see what's going on in your, in your life. Uh, and I was so stoked to see that you have been selected to do a TEDx presentation. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Not a problem. Um, so the talk ended up being, well, let me start at the beginning. So an email came across my, my inbox from the Women's Resource Center. And I get a lot of emails from a lot of different places on campus that are basically saying, hey, we're doing this thing, come be a part of it. Hey, we're doing this thing, come be a part of it. And I just generally don't have time for everything. I try to do what I can, you know, to just be present on campus and such. And um, this one came across my desk and it was, um, you know, we were looking for speakers for this TEDx uh, presentation as part of the Women's Resource Center to bring it, uh, draw attention to the, you know, strong and innovative females that are working within our university. And I thought, okay, I've got things I could say. I've got things I could talk about. Let me, let me try this on for size. Um, and it actually came at a really perfect time um, because recently, and this is even since you and I talked, um, recently I have been diagnosed with autism. And uh, I'm obviously like really high functioning. I can look people in the eye. When people hear autism, they're like, but you can't have autism, you're so social. 
And it's a spectrum. Everybody exists in a different place. But anyway, I've been sort of processing this recent diagnosis through therapy and such. Um, and it make it after the diagnosis, the rest, like some of the gaps in my life sort of made sense. I was like, oh, now I know why that is. Um, but I thought about it. And when I, I had sort of reached like a, a meta uh, perspective on on the autism regarding the trajectory of my career over the years and why things had happened the way they had happened. Um, and a unifying trait among all autistic people is that uh, to some degree or another, we all adhere to rules, whether there are rules or we like to be a part of a system that has rules, we feel safe and it's easier for us to function if we have a set of rules. Right. And um, I had realized uh, it, through therapy and, and talking to you know folks um, that part of the reason I have been so disgruntled about the misogyny that I come across daily in higher education and had come across fairly frequently in the freelance world, which is some of what we talked about last time, um, is because the explicit rules contradict the implicit rules. Right. And as a person with autism, I, the implicit rules go over my head some of the time, like not all the time, obviously I catch on and I've been able to, um, be successful in spite of this. Um, and that's really the, the thesis of the Ted talk is that though I, I have faced great challenges in misogyny and poverty and, um, you know, like discrimination in higher ed and this and that and the other thing I have still in the face of all of it succeeded, partially because of the autism. Like, I just don't see when people are being passive aggressive. I'm just like, okay, you're weird. I don't understand why you're doing that, but okay. Yeah. And <laughs> um, it had been chalked up to tenacity uh, by many of my teachers and mentors up until this point. They're just like, you are, you are fearless. And I'm like, well, thank you. Isn't everyone, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so having gotten the autism diagnosis, now I understand so much more about why I was able to persevere in the face of all of these obstacles. And that's really what the TED Talk ended up being about. Oh, well, that's awesome. Uh, I mean, that's, that's uh, you know, a big revelation. So uh, thanks for being so upfront. No, I mean, yeah, the thing is, anybody, yeah, any, anybody who knows you knows that you just, I mean, you're an open book. So, uh, yeah. and, and, and honestly, that, that's great because, you know, the, the, the spirit of what I'm trying to do is just kind of pulling back the curtain for people so that they can, they can see the artist as the real person. And, you know, that that's warts and all. And I think that uh, the things that, that make us great are often the things that we've had to overcome. You so. are so right. Yes. And that's, that's one of the goals of the Women's Resource Center in having this TED Talk is to highlight, you know, the the positives of all of these, um, you know, whether they be disabilities or their obstacles, whatever they are, you know, highlighting, you know, minorities, you know, my, women being the large, you know, group. Um, but they also had many people, many women of color, many uh, non-binary people. Um, you know, there were a lot, there was a lot of representation in that group of women. And I think that's really important. I mean, not just to have women, but to have a diverse group of women women mm -hmm. is a very important thing to do. The more we can be visible and the more people can see that people from all walks and all backgrounds can be successful, the more likely it is that they will believe in themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I, it's, I, I hate the fact that we have to have discussions about 
women's rights, uh, you know, the 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 rights of the the non-binary, the you know, the whatever you know, race, religion, whatever. I hate that we have to have the discussions. However, we have to have those discussions. And- we have to. We have to represent, and we have to keep bringing it up until we there until we reach a time where it isn't an issue, yeah. and it's still an issue. So we're gonna keep bringing it up. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if, if you don't mind hanging on on this diagnosis thing uh, for just, just a couple of minutes. Um, so your your ability to process it, because, you know, I know, you know, you've had you've been pretty open about the fact that, you know, you've you've had ups and downs with with your level of uh, just, you know, being depressed and, and you know, anxiety and stuff like that. And, you know, and at this point, who's not? Uh, <laughs> exactly. But um you know, now that you're able to, to look at things in retrospect, I know you said that you could, that a lot of things made sense to you. Um, what are some of the key things that where you look back and go, yeah, that, that was, that was the sign. And, and if I had no, because the reason I want to ask you that is because I know that there's somebody listening to this that's dealing with this as well. And, you know, they, maybe they don't know they're dealing with it, but, you know, it's like, what can you say for yourself that maybe will give some, some insight to other people and, and ways they can deal with, with their issues as well? I am so glad to talk about that. Uh, and I'm really glad that you asked because um, at, the term Asperger's syndrome is not even used in our current mental health um uh, the DSM-5 is what they call it. It's the mental health manual. And um, it's so my my particular place on the spectrum is no longer diagnosed as its own disorder. It is just another place on the spectrum. And so um, there are there are many different kinds of flavors of autistic people. Um, but one of the things that makes my, my particular instance very unique is that um, Asperger himself actually in his research stated that it is impossible for women to have autism. It's impossible, he said. And therefore in modern mental health and psychiatric discussions, it was never actually researched. They just said, oh, well, he says it's that way. So it has to be that way. Um, And so there are probably millions of women who are not diagnosed as having autism. And part of the reason that we are so rarely diagnosed is that part of part of being autistic and part of being very high functioning is being able to assimilate into your surroundings and and not only to understand the actions and body language and facial expressions of the people around you, but to mimic them and use them in a way that makes sense. So um, one of the things that, um, oh man, I love telling this story. Um, one, one of the things that was like a huge light bulb moment for me um, in retrospect regarding my ability to understand other people's emotions uh, happened when I was in high school. I was attending the Interlochen Arts Academy and um, if, if you've ever attended the academy, you know that every every camper goes and stays in these cabins. There's 12 people to a cabin um, and they're all, you know, all the boys are on their side, all the women, ladies are on their side. And so I was in this cabin with 12 other girls and there's like a 
30 foot distance between, you know, like the sleeping area and the showers and the showers are all individual stalls, but you know, they're on the other side of the cabin. So you have to walk across the cabin to do your thing. And so I grew up in poverty. So I had never experienced this type of setting and I didn't know about any of the rules about like, oh, you bring your clothes with you so that you can like change and then you don't have to sh show anybody your junk on the way back out. Um, and I also grew up in a household where my mother was just like, nudity is natural. Everybody gets nude, you know, like, so I was like super comfortable with my body at a really young age. Um, and I just thought that, oh, well, we're humans. We all have the same bits. What's the big deal? So um, I understood about modesty, though, like my mom taught me about like, oh, you don't want people to see your stuff all the time, like, you know, cover up with a towel or do what you got to do, um, you know, but like, I just didn't understand the, the process of like going back with all your clothing so that you could come out dressed. So anyway, I was returning from the shower to my, my sleeping slash dressing area in a towel, and I was like getting my, my clothing out of my... Um, my locker or whatever it was and the towel dropped and everybody saw my ass and I was like mm, okay just a butt whatever put my towel back on didn't even phase me I was like Whoop, all right well everybody's got butts so and I say apparently because I truly was not aware of the fact <laughs> but apparently this caused a big uproar in the cabin Apparently, all the giggling and, and the chit chat and things that was happening around me, which was pretty much normal, like that's a girl's cabin, that's what happens in a girl's cabin, there's a lot of giggling and chit chat. Apparently, it was all about my ass for like a week, a straight week. And, and so we get to like this Friday, like cabin meeting hangout session where we can like, you know, address things that have been like, address things that have been going on in the week positively, or if there is a negative thing, we could talk about that. And I remember, I remember, I remember it so vividly, which is another part of my autism, by the way. Um, I was sitting across from my camp counselor and she said in this little circle of, of sharing, she says, Hey, I just want to thank Lexi for being so mature this week and not letting any of the, the teasing and the bullying and the chit chat and the giggling, you know, you were, you've been so mature and, and just not letting any of that get to you. It's like, it's like you didn't even hear it. And I like stared at her. I was like, uh, uh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it took a lot of work. <laughs> freaking clue right. I, had none. I had no idea that my entire cabin was making fun of me for a week and then I become diagnosed with autism I'm like well that makes sense I had no freaking clue because I can't pick up on I couldn't at the time pick up on social skills right um, or social cues mm -hmm. so uh and what followed was just a barrage of crying teenagers going, we're so sorry. We made fun of you. It was so wrong, but I just, and they just let loose. And I'm like, what is right. happening? I don't get it, but thank you. <laughs> yeah. And like that story right there pretty much sums up what it's like to be an autistic person, not knowing that you're an autistic person, and then later finding out <laughs> and going, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah. So, so that's, that's one of the many instances, but a lot of it has to do with understanding social cues. Mm -hmm. um, does, is that what you were looking for? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's 
hey, it's your story, girl. Yeah, you you tell it the way you want to tell it. Uh, but no, that that that's really that's fascinating because, uh, you know, regardless of whether it's uh, thinking about your particular situation and your diagnosis and you're being able to then make sense of it or any of that other stuff. I mean, like, you know, uh, as we're all dealing with the current environment, um, you know, what we're experiencing right now is what we're experiencing, but we're not going to know what the meaning of this is until down the line. And, you know, as we start to look back, that's when we figure out what this really meant to us right now. It's just the experience. So, uh, you know, the ability to, to look back and to say, you know, if, if you could choose, you know, maybe you wouldn't choose to be on the spectrum. Maybe we wouldn't choose for this or choose that, whatever, choose to be this color, choose to be this sex or whatever it is. You know, we wouldn't may, maybe if we were given the choice, you wouldn't. But the fact of the matter is that's what made us who we are. And if you're comfortable with who you are, then the rest of it is just, you know, it's bullshit, basically. So, you know. I'm actually really glad that you mentioned that um, because that is often um, that for whatever reason that that comes up a lot. Uh, I think in, in and I've jo- I've joined some like um, adults with autism sort of like uh, discussion groups and things like that. And that is a question that is asked a lot. And um, I I'm I feel really compelled to speak on this because I think I think if people viewed intellectual disabilities as superpowers, they might frame the way they view themselves a little bit differently and the way they present themselves a little bit differently. So, um, and I talk about this in my TED talk to some degree. So I, so I show up and I do my TED talk. I do like two 15 minute lectures. There's like, boom, take one. Um, Can we have it a little bit less dark? Sure. Boom, take two, and? And so like, I don't know how they're gonna edit this. Like it could come across as like doom and gloom, but it could also come across like, yay, everything's awesome. You're awesome, everybody's awesome. I don't know. <laughs> but um, what, uh, what, what, both in both instances, the thesis is essentially your, your disabilities make you who you are, but it more even more specifically, your disabilities are superpowers. And some of the superpowers that, I took, I don't say that I took them for granted, but I I felt that, well, doesn't everyone, can't everyone do these things? Um, And I I have a list of them essentially that Jay calls me on all the time. He's just like, listen, just because you can fill in the blank does not mean everyone can fill in the blank. And projection bias and uh, like intellectual egocentrism uh, is sort of uh, a, one of the many characteristics of people who are very high functioning and on the spectrum. So, you know, some of those things for me are being able to see music in my head. Can't everybody do that? Oh, you can't? Oh, that's weird. Um, or being able to score an entire passage in my head. Like all of my peop- all of my teachers who ever had me in dictation will tell you. They're just like, yeah, she's a freak. She's like, first pass, done. <laughs> and I never had any trouble with any of that. Um, I have a photographic memory. Um, I am probably the most disorganized person you've ever met, but I know exactly where all of my things are at all times. Um, I could tell you like, uh, so like at the table where we were sitting, there were, uh, 
two two loungers behind me. We were sitting we were sitting next to a pillar, and there was a bar in the back surrounded. Uh, if you turn around, if you did a one eighty, there are one, two, three, or five windows, two on the corner, and then three facing the street in your studio. I've been there once. Yep. Yeah. So I. I didn't know that other people couldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's funny, it, but it makes it so that some areas of my life are a lot easier as a musician. So like with a photographic memory or with a, a, a mind that processes sound as pictures, I don't need the score a lot of the time. And this is what cracks people up when they invite me to come be a clinician. They're just like, would you like scores? No. You've never played the piece? No, I'm fine. I don't need them. It'll be great. And so I will go and I'll listen and it'll all score itself in my head. And I'll go, oh, okay. So we're in this key. That should be sixth position. You are missing that. And just, and I have been able to do that since I was like 16. Hmm. So is it a disability or is it a set of superpowers? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have you done any reading on synesthesia? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that's a really interesting uh, thing to think about uh, because I, I've read a lot of uh, papers about that and that there's this conjecture that there is a relationship between uh, that and some level of uh, autism. And, and, and one of the ones that, that comes up a lot of times is what we call perfect pitch. Uh, and the and the, the 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 crossing of the synapses so that you're 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 not you're not processing sound in the same portion of the brain that you that everybody else is processing sound. You're processing in, in either a, a visual or you know uh, you, it could it could be in uh, you could taste sound. You know, so it's like all these different things. And the brain is just so freaking fascinating. It and, really is. And it's like I, the thing that I love that you said is you think about it as a superpower because you think about any superhero and, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big superhero geek. Um, that the thing about that, that makes superheroes so cool is that they do things that the normal person can't do. But yet, you know, when we're normal, you know, whatever normal is, and there's a whole, I can go into a whole rant about, you know, how normal this <laughs> exists. Okay. But, you know, everybody wants to be normal. And if it's outside the normal, it's not good. Well, maybe you know maybe normal sucks you know i don't like normal i don't like being normal i like being abby you know yes abby normal is good yeah yeah that is so that's so awesome and i love the fact that in typical uh lexi style you know you're just you're taking it in stride and you know i know a lot of people because yeah i've i've worked with uh over the years when i was uh, teaching martial arts you know i had a number of students who were on the spectrum. I had a number of students with Asperger's. Uh, so I'm very familiar with uh, a lot of the symptomatology and, you know, things like that. And the thing that I always try to do is just like, you know, hey, look, you're just processing things different from everybody else. It doesn't make you weird. It doesn't make you, you know, anything. It makes you you. And let's just figure out how you learn best and, and you know, use your, like you said, your superpowers because a lot of them were just, you know, I had some that were really, super, super fast in terms of uh, a kinesthetic sense of, you know, of learning. It's like they do it once, they got it, boom. You know, other kids struggling with it. Uh, you know, they couldn't, you know, they had no social skills or they, there are other things that they couldn't do, but, you know, that they excelled at. So uh, I think it's so important that, you know, especially you being an educator, 
uh, that that thing of, you know, look, we're all different and we're all going to learn things different. We're going to process them different. So let's just find your unique skill, your superpower, and let's maximize that. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Um, That's interesting that you say that uh, you've had students that are on the spectrum that excel in martial arts because there is... Uh, research that suggests that some people on the spectrum have um, a really hard time understanding where their body is in space all the time. Um, and that's actually in the diagnose, in the diagnostic process, something that they ask you about. They're like, um, are you very clumsy or are you very coordinated? And, you know, has that always been this way? And the truth of the matter for me is that I have not always been very coordinated at all. I was really clumsy and seemingly to, my mom used to call me a space cadet. Um, And it was just that I didn't have very good spatial understanding of where my body was and what these limbs are all about. And um, I, I joke about it with Jay. I'm just like, yeah, I feel, I feel a bit like I'm a, like I'm an alien kind of trapped in a human's body sometimes. Um, and I'm kind of learning how humans work, you know, now that I know that I'm diagnosed, but I've always, I had always felt that sort of outsider looking in this. Um, but I had always chalked that up to, you know, maybe my poverty or maybe my surroundings or my community or whatever it was, you know, I didn't think, I didn't think to myself at a young age that, Oh, maybe I'm just wired differently. (laughs) And that's really what it is. That's really what it is, is that you're wired differently. Yeah. You know, um, I don't have perfect pitch, but I have really good relative pitch, you know, um, I have perfect pitch in B flat, but that's not, that doesn't fall into the realm of perfect pitch, according to some academics. So. Yeah, I've got imperfect pitch, so it's, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. So, yeah, yeah, well, let's, uh, let's transition to a little trumpet, trumpet talk, even though this is trumpet talk, because, you know, hey, like you said, this is who what makes you who you are, uh, both as a performer and as an educator, uh, and just as a person. So, uh, but, but let's, talk, let's talk about the horn a little bit. Um, you know, when, if you haven't checked out, uh, my interview with, with Jay and Lexi, it's episode number four. So go back and listen to that. Uh, you know, there's no video, so you don't get to see Lexi's smiling face. So, and, you know, or pouting face, whatever that is. Um, so, uh, you, you talked a lot in that episode about, um, you know, what it's like being a woman in the particularly uh, in the the realm of uh, trumpet playing is, is you know, a kind of a, been a boys club for a long time anyway. But especially playing lead trumpet, um, that is definitely uh, a, a very, very uh, men's club sort of thing. And uh, the stuff that you've had to go through with that. Um, but. You know, I have to say, well, actually, I got to I got to transition to this because uh, I was on a gig, one of my two gigs of the year, three gigs of the year, I guess. Right. Yeah, I had those. Uh, but the sax player uh, is from the Philly area. And we were talking and uh, I, I said, oh, do you know Jay Webb? He goes, yeah, yeah, I know Jay. He goes, yeah, I was on a gig and actually his uh, his girlfriend was on it. I'm like, Lexi, yeah. And he goes, yeah, she's really good. Like, oh, that's awesome. I said, yeah, she is really good. Well, so, thanks. Yeah. So the the idea of, you know, being being in that world, you know, like I said, if people want to check that out, they can go back back to it. But but let's talk a little bit more about uh, just about your approach to the horn. 
um, how you how you deal with uh, not not the necessarily the the you know the psychological side of things, but you know how you approach your playing and and especially to uh, to be in that 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 world where regardless of whether you're a man or woman being on being that lead book has a lot of pressure. So how do you keep yourself in shape? How do you uh, approach your 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 studies and your uh, your technical development? Sure. Um, so I don't often think to myself about you know, whether this is a, a gendered job or not, when I, when I'm on a gig, I'm just, I'm just a trumpet player. So like that, that doesn't even really cross my mind. Um, and I, again, I've learned that that's partially due to the autism. Like it doesn't occur to me that, you know, I might've been hired because of X, Y, and Z. It's just that I've been hired. I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm going to go do this job. And it's very simple to me in that way. Um, and, you know, as far as keeping my chops in shape, um, I play like, during, during the week with my students, I play routine probably five or six. Well, on an, on an average day, it's like two or three times a day. And then like over the course of the week, that's now what, 15 times a week. And if you've ever played through the Bill Adam routine, like to its, to its ends, um, that's some, that's some pretty heavy playing a lot of the time, you know? Um, now, not all of my students are particularly advanced, you know, they're all at different places in their careers excuse me. So we're all working on, you know, we can only get so far in the Bill Adam routine and that's fine. And that's where they are. Um, but you know, you do that two or three times a day, plus, you know, excerpts and, and, and solo work and all of that fun stuff. And you tend to just sort of get iron chops after a while. What, what I have to work on, um, probably more diligently than most things is just flexibility and technical ability above the staff. I tend to do like a lot of Clark studies up the octave. Um, I'll take the Arben's um, art of phrasing, the little art of phrasing bits. I'll play those up an octave and I'll just work to play beautifully in that register and be able to navigate all of those those intervals and things in a musical way by the way i'm petting my dog he's being a pest so that's what this is um, <laughs> anyhow um so a lot of it is about musicality in that register but also about flexibility in that register you know those clark if you do clark two um you know up an octave or up two octaves you know there's no excuse to not you know play a correct interval at that point it's just like you know you know that exercise so well you're not going to gack anything right. so it's safe but it also gives you a psychological setup of like oh well if i can do this then i can do that kind of deal um you know clark two is not the only example of that but that's just you know one of many things that uh sometimes i'll use to just like dust dust the old uh, cobwebs off the other thing i really like to do and this is just pure fun but um it's good to just sort of get your ears around it again and do it um is I will grab just YouTube and I'll put it on. I have this big, I have big Bluetooth speaker in my office and I mean, it is loud, like super loud. Um, and I'll just put on like a YouTube track of like Michael Jackson or Bruno Mars or like Earth, Wind and Fire or something. And I will play with the band and I will dance the part because if you can, if you can dance and you can feel the time here, you're not going to screw up the time here and it's good for your cardio like it's good to get your heart rate up and get your muscles working because they're going to be working on a gig anyway 
but just sort of doing the job while not doing the job, practicing it in, a, in an athletic way allows you to be very comfortable, especially during a pandemic when we're all just sitting down doing nothing. Um, it allows you to be really, you know, a dynamic performer, but also like an in shape human being, you know, playing trumpet on a gig. I love that kind of practice and I do it with my students too. It's really fun. Yeah, that sounds kind of cool. It, you know, it's uh, it's funny because I was recently talking to uh, Dan Fernero, and we were, we were having that discussion about uh, the work that, that he's done with Vine Street Horns and and uh, the importance of being a performer besides just being a player. You know, you know, if if you're on stage, depending, you know, depending if they've got you in the back row, you know, uh, yeah, that that's it. But you know, a lot of a lot of acts, you know, the, the music, you know, the musicians are an integral part of the stage show. And, um, you look at like, you know, like Bruno Mars and, you know, uh, Justin Timberlake, you know, things like that, you know, yeah, if you can't dance and play trumpet, you are not getting that gig. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, it's, yeah, it was real interesting. And, and I know that, uh, yeah, you and I both have, have spent, more than our fair share of time uh, playing in party bands. So, yes, you know, you, you, I miss it. I feel yeah. like it's for me to say so, but I miss it. Yeah, you can't be in a brick house band and not have a few moves you can step, you know, step out with. So. Right, right. Oh my gosh. And let's not even like talk about salsa bands because oh, if yeah. you can't dance in a salsa band, you will definitely not get hired back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Which amazes me how many musicians have like no jam like I know. no jam I know it's so funny I um so I teach well I teach all ages but I have um so I have a private studio and then I have um my ISU studio and I have one student who somewhat overlaps. He is a college age student, but he is not a part of my ISU studio. He's college age student that's part of my private studio. So he gets to study basically whatever he wants because he's not beholden to juries. Um, and so we've been doing a lot with the internalization of time. And um, like he has, he struggles with like tapping his foot and playing at the same time, despite having come from a musical family. I'm like, I don't understand this. So we actually started with like Uptown Funk. And I'm like, look, just do, just do the old left, right shuffle. Just keep your feet hitting the ground on the beat, just like marching band, but more hip. And uh, we started there and he was like, oh my, okay. And it was hard at first. Like it was hard to get him to move his fingers and move his feet at the same time. Um, but after about a week or two of just like hammering that, like, no feet on the beat, feet on the beat, dang it. And then like remembering to come in on time. His time in his ensembles, he's also in my jazz ensemble, his time and his sound concept got so much better over the course of like four or five weeks of doing that kind of studying. There, there is just no substitute for that kind of learning, I don't think. Um, and he's, he's the split lead in the jazz ensemble. He started playing with so much more power because he was constantly off balance. That's what dancing sort of does to us slash for us is that you're always off balance in your core. And what do you need to support high notes? Your core. So he got, he got so much better on a, on a fundamental level just by doing that one fun exercise. I just sit here and go, why don't we teach trumpet this way? why are we not taught to just do this universally? Cause it's so good in whatever setting, if it's, you know, 
Um, even just as simple as, you know, just moving left and right, if you're playing the Artunian or the Haydn, like, why is this not socially acceptable? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it's so funny because if you look at um, like a, a, a piano player, for example, uh, now granted, they have to navigate, uh, you know, 88 keys. So, but if you watch any great piano player, it's not just simply them moving side to side. You, they're entire body is in it. a great violinist is not going to stand like a statue and play their their bodies are in it but then you, you know i don't know why trumpet players feel like if you're a great especially if you're a classical trumpet player oh my gosh you cannot move you know that it's like locking they they, they fundamentally lock themselves into a position which creates unnecessary tension uh physical tension but physical tension is just a manifestation of mental tension so it's like that whole thing of I've got to be here and there's, you know, the the feeling and the freedom because, you know, it, like you said, music, music makes you move. And if you're not yes. moving to it, there's something going on. I think that's one interesting aspect, uh, well, unifying aspect between neurotypical people and autistic or non-neurotypical people is that we are united in the fact that listening to music causes us to physically be stimulated. So, and everybody it like expresses that differently, but I distinctly remember, uh, <laughs> uh, this is another sort of like Aspie light bulb moment. Uh, I remember a director telling me, hey, could you not move so much while we're, while we're rehearsing or while we're playing? It's really distracting. And I didn't know that I was doing it, but I, I went, oh, okay, I guess I'm doing a thing. All right. And then I, I fa like fast forward like 10 years, well, not even 10 years, probably like six years <laughs> to my undergrad. And um, I was in the jazz ensemble and it's permissible to move in, in the big band. Like you're okay if you wanna, if you wanna get your groove on in a big band and you're way more okay if you wanna do that in a commercial ensemble. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, maybe I've been a jazz musician this whole time. Maybe this is my home because I can move and I feel free. You said, you know, the movement makes you feel free and it does, it frees you in so many ways. Um, you know, it allows you to internalize the time. It allows you to, you know, express the style, but then, you know, like I felt like I was given a license to be myself when I studied jazz or when I studied commercial music because I was allowed to move. And now that I've become a professor, I've made that the norm. I'm like, look, if you're, if you're performing solo and it, it moves you and you want to sway or do something or, or, you know, show that you're feeling the music in, in whatever way is you're feeling it, do that. Who cares if you play great and you're getting your jam on, no one's gonna call you on that except some fuddy-duddy judge in the back that's like, that's really distracting from the sound. All right, then close your eyes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, the, you know, the end result, you know, you know, what is it that we're actually trying to accomplish? And that's what I always go back to. You know, the, the, the methods are much less important uh, than the result, fundamentally. You know, if, if you're able to get, if you're a trumpet player, you're able to get a good sound, you have good time, you have, you know, the facility, you don't have to have like, you know, world-class uh, technical skills. Uh, but if, if you've got the ability to do what you need to do consistently, then how you do it, what equipment you use, what you look like when you're doing it, doesn't matter. 
because like you said, if you close your eyes, you know, you, what, what you're getting is the music. Yep. So, and know. let's be honest, there is no glamorous way to play trumpet. There is no way to look cool going. Well, I, I, I disagree with that because I think <laughs> I look pretty damn cool. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. it's so funny. But you know what I mean? It's just like, it's yeah. an unnatural thing to do with your face. You're going to look weird no matter what. So just be weird. Well, you know, there, there is that. There is that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, there was something else I was going to touch on and now it just left and I'm sure it'll probably crop up here in a little, in a little bit, but, uh, dang it. I completely forgot what it was. Yeah. That's all good. It's all good. So, uh, you know, with it, it this is a, a I guess a, I, I, oh, go ahead. You, you had your idea. Let's, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Yeah. I remembered it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, you were asking me about my approach to the horn and um, you had said something about like, you know, the attributes of a really great player, you know, having great technical facility, a great sound, great time, um, and, you know, being able to perform consistently from day to day or, or hour to hour, whatever it is. And I feel like this week uh, I have been asked, you know, that question about consistency more than anything else by my students, because this week is they had their juries on Monday and they were just like, many of them are just like, how is it that you are able to play so well all the time, like without fail? Like you, you don't seem like you question your chops. And I said, frankly, I don't. I've proven to myself so many times that I have the endurance and that I have the skills. And that's what routine does for us is that it basically just gives us that psychological setup. Like, yes, you can do these things. So go do them. Um, but one of the things they asked me about is, is consistency and consistency in regards to um, endurance. And I, I love, I love leaning on the, the oversimplification of Joey Tartell, cause he's really good at this. Um, but how do you become more consistent? Be consistent. And all my students go, well, that doesn't make any sense. And it's like, no, 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 no. Listen to what I'm saying. How do you become more consistent? Be consistent. If you are consistent in your practice every day, you will be more consistent. If you are practice or if you are consistent in practicing the things you suck at so you get better at them, you will be more consistent. How do you become more consistent? By being more consistent. The same thing applies to endurance and this really, really bakes everybody's noodle. They're just like, I don't understand how, what you mean by this. And I'm like, I didn't come up with the, the expression, Joey did, but it doesn't make it any the less true. Um, how do you get more endurance? Have endurance. And they're like, that makes no sense. And I'm like, no, it totally does. Because you have to have some endurance to build on. Right. Every day that you build past that endurance, just like when you, you know, bodybuild, build muscles, train in a sport, you get a little bit more and a little bit more. So how do you become more like, how do you gain more endurance? Have endurance and use it all up. I remember um, Jay would come home sometimes if he if he came home on a gig and it was like an early gig and he felt like he hadn't really played his chops out for the day that dude would sit in our like home studio and play until three in the morning until his chops fell off 
He's one of the most consistent players in the business. The yeah. technique speaks for itself, man. How do you have endurance? Yeah. Have endurance. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I was actually having that conversation uh, on that last gig I was on, uh, talking to the sax player. And uh, I, I said, you know, I just. Can you say who it was? I kind of want to know. Yeah. Uh, Jay Davidson. Oh, I love Jay. Yeah. Jay's a good, hoot. Yeah. yeah. Good cat. Good cat. Good cat. So. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, we were talking about it and you know, like about doing, you know, the fact that, that, that none of us were playing as much as we would, would like to play. And uh, I said, you know, yeah, man, it, it really, I, I, I crave playing, you know, and it was, a, it was a hard gig. It was one of those gigs where it was, you know, a, you know, like a wedding gig and it was just like from the beginning to the end and you're just, you're just playing. And I was actually playing stronger at the end of the night yeah. than I was at the beginning of the night. And I said, you know, that's the way I, I kind of am wired. I said, the, the more I play, the harder I play, the stronger I start to feel, you know. And uh, I said, you know, man, most guys are, are complaining about, you know, if, if they have to do four gigs in a weekend. I said, by the, by the fourth gig, I'm feeling really, really good, you know, because it's just like, yeah, the, yeah. You know, it's like burn it out and then come back and then the next day it's just a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger. And then you just start, you lock into that, that groove. It's a consistency and it's the, the, you know, you empty the tank and then it, it feels fresh. Yep. Well, to your credit though, I mean, your study of martial arts has probably made you a much more efficient recovery sort of player, you know, like you'll play yourself out, but you probably have yourself figured out physically to a point where you're like, you know what you need to do to recover. I can't stress that enough with my students. It's like, okay, this is a two-way street. You can play yourself into ground beef, that's fine, but you have to know how to recover. You have to know how to take care of your body to reset it and do it again, yeah, or yeah. else you're gonna end up with chop failure. Yeah, well, that that's actually why I have tequila, so. Um... <laughs> Well, you know what's funny about uh, about that gig scenario and like having four gigs in a weekend and all of that. Um, I mean, I I can't speak for all trumpet players, obviously, but I love the pain. Like, I love it when I get on a gig and I'm like, ooh, ooh, it's a little spicy. Ooh, let's do the spicy. And I get all excited about it because I'm like, oh, I have those chops. I can do that. Yeah, let's get let's get in here. Let's dig in. I uh, I actually really enjoy that. And um, I actually like, have you ever played so hard that you go to sleep? Well, so hard and so late that you go to sleep and you wake up and you're still warmed up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that feeling. I'm just like, yes, I did the good work. Yes, I am yeah. strong like gold. Strong like gold. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know that that's a, an interesting aspect of of playing, and I think that uh, the people who have really taken the uh, taking trumpet playing to the next level, uh, they have. It, it's not that it's just about the music. It's just they they have an innate understanding. Or, or developed understanding in, in, in a lot of cases of their bodies, you know, they, they, they know, you know, and, and it's not like the, Oh man, my chops are feeling off today. It's the, you know, they, they're aware of, of their body. They're aware of their breathing. They're aware of, of how they are in space and, and all of those things because it's, it, we're a holistic system. So you can't just, 
you know, think about the chops or think about the fingers or think about, you know, there's so many things that are going on, so many moving parts, and they seem to be innately aware of how all those pieces come together. And, you know, I think that a lot of times, especially for younger younger players, or and I'm sure you're seeing that in your, your position as a, a collegiate educator and also having your own private studio, that, you know, a lot of people are just like, well, just show me how to play high or show me how to play fast or show me how to, you know, do this and not wanting to think about all of the other components, uh, including things like you're saying, like moving, like nutrition, like, you know, staying hydrated when you're in a gig or getting enough sleep or, you know, all the things that, that actually start to affect your endurance and affect your consistency. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's a 20 year old thing too. Like I did dumb stuff when I was 20 as well. You know, you just, you, you learn, you mess it up, you learn, you fix it. You know, it might take you some years to fix it, but we all, we all do it. Yeah. Um, and I, I will say this though, like my, my, my studio at ISU, I give all of my students the option of playing routine. It's always an option to play routine. It's never a requirement because, you know, it's, it is something that I bring to the table to show you that it is possible that you should, you know, have a routine of some kind, whatever it is. This is the routine that I use. This is the routine that was taught to me by a person who was taught by Bill Adam. Therefore, it's, you know, sort of etched in stone as good stuff. But however, however they operate is fine. But I always give my students the option in addition to their lessons. I always say that there is no or in trumpet. There is only and. And so, like, thank you, Yoda. Um, but... It's true, there is no or in trumpet. You can't swap out, well, I'm gonna do this this day and not do this. Like if you wanna keep your endurance, you wanna keep your versatility on all the instruments, you better be playing all the instruments every day. Um, and so I always give my students the option of playing the Adam routine with me um, once a week, you know, in hopes that they would do this for themselves. And I'll say that the, the students who play routine with me once a week are some of the most consistent students in my studio. Duh. <laughs> I didn't invent the sport. I just teach it. <laughs> but the students who don't are the ones who are usually coming to me nearing their juries going, uh, uh, but, but, I just, oh, I feel so tired. Okay, well, consistency, consistency makes more consistency. Had you been consistent in your routine, whatever that is, if it's the if it's the Adam routine, if it's Chickowitz, if it's whatever, you would not be panicking right now. I tried. You did not listen. <laughs> but you know, the ones that play routine or any routine, you know, but especially the Bill Adam routine, they're super consistent. You know, they, they have, they have really good sound in all registers that are accessible to them. Uh, and they don't fret about whether or not they're going to have a face to get through whatever they got to get through because they've already proved it to themselves at least once that day that they have enough notes in their bucket to do the job. And, um, it just cracks me up, you know, like you would think that, uh, emulation might happen like, oh, that person's super consistent and I want to do that. I should go maybe play routine every week with uh, Professor Signor. Um, but, you know, young people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think it's so important, yeah, and you, you already, you, you touched on that, is that you've got to find what works for you, you know? And, you know, because like we said earlier, at the end of the day, you know, it if somebody can close their eyes and listen to you and go, yeah, that's a great trumpet player, then however you got there is how you got there, Yeah, you know, but if you're looking for, you know, it, it's the whole thing though of, you know, and I've, I've used this philosophy so much in, in my life is 
eventually you're going to find your own way or, you know, especially if, if you want to um, excel at something, it, it goes back to the, actually the Clark Terry thing of, you know, imitate, assimilate, innovate. Yes. So the first thing is if you don't know what to do, follow somebody else imitate what they do, use their routine, use their setup, you know, use their equipment, whatever it is, start with something that you know works. Because if, if it's never been done before, the question is, was it never done because it, it no one ever thought of it or that somebody thought of it and tried it and goes, nah, this sucks. You know, so if, if you know something works, okay, start there and then start to play with it and adjust it as you're progressing along your way. So that's the assimilation phase. And then once you've, once it's inside of you, so if it's, if it's doing routine and you assimilated the concepts of routine, then eventually you should be able to say, okay, well, these parts really serve me. These parts, eh, they're, yeah, they're okay, but you know, there may be something else. Method. You know, Bruce Lee took, he studied every martial art there was and he took the things that worked for him and he ran with them and discarded the things that did not work for him. It's the same concept. It's just yeah. a discipline. Yeah, but it's just a thing, but it, it's that thing. And, you know, because I've had that argument with people about Bruce Lee, you know, like you know, the whole thing, form is useless. And so like, it's like, well, yeah, that, yeah, it's very true. It is useless at that point. But how do you get to that point? You got to do the forms, right? You got to understand the forms before you can get rid of them and take, you know, take the information out of it. So, you know, for all of the, the, the pedagogy and the, all, of, all of the techniques and the studies and the, the routines, um, all of them work for someone, okay? Yes, oh yes. You know, find the one that works for you and then, and, and that's why I like, this is why I love talking to so many different players or just people in general, because I believe that there's, um, there's a science to success and, and that it's looking at so many different ways and go, okay, well, they do it this way, they do it this way, they do it, okay, this is different, 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 okay, but what's the same? Because there is that overlapping thing. And whatever that overlapping thing is, that's the real shit. So that's the stuff that you need to focus on. The rest of it, it's just, you know, that, that's just the, the icing. Yeah. Uh, this is off trumpet topic, but on the success topic, have you checked out um, Tribe of Mentors by Tim Ferriss? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're familiar with that whole series? Yeah. Yeah. He, he did exactly that. He had a podcast. He asked his, his people on his podcast the same few things, found the things that overlapped and went, all right, cool. And here's how we do this. <laughs> yeah. I love that you're doing this in the trumpet world. I'm really glad that you're, you're doing this in trumpet specifically because there are so many very pointed opinions along the way. But you're right that they're all unified by, you know, the basic tenets of good musicianship or the basic tenets of good trumpet playing. Um, and it really can be boiled down to a few things, I think, ultimately across, you know, however many players you've uh, interviewed at this point. And uh, I feel honored to be counted among like all these heavies that you interview, dude. Thank oh, you. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yeah, I, I love, like I said, I love talking with you because, you know, we've always had a great time just, just hanging, you know, from, from, from the first time. And it's that transparency that you have. And, you know, it's certainly great to listen to the, you know, the Wayne Bergerons of the world, the, you know, the, the people like that, you know, it's great to listen to them because, you know, they're, they're the ones that, that inspire 
us and sometimes, you know, annoy the living hell out of us. <laughs> but I'm not the kind of double D that sounds like Wayne's man. I'm just not. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but it's the sometimes, and this is something that that I've I've dealt with in in martial arts and teaching people, and and sometimes the best the best teacher is not the the person who's at the top, it's the person that's closest to you, you know. So whether they're one step or two steps or three steps ahead of you, it's easier to relate to that person, and they're closer to your struggles to be, and they can help you a lot more than somebody who you know is the top of the mountain. So I think that, that the more people that I, that I can interview on different levels of their journey, you know, as we're all moving towards greatness, uh, that that's, that's where you're going to get a lot of the stuff. You're going to see the people that, that have, have attained that high level. You're going to see the people that are, that are edging towards it. You're going to see the people at the beginning of their journey and somewhere you're going to find somebody that you can resonate with and it's going to inspire you on your personal journey. Yes, absolutely. And I'm really grateful to be featured more and more often. Um, and I think this TED Talk is probably going to hopefully, you know, get that to happen even more often than it are, is already happening. But, you know, I think I think back to, you know, 11-year-old Lexi in the middle of Northern Michigan who just picked up a trumpet and was like, hey, I'm pretty good at this. Woo, I'm really good at the thing. And I didn't have any women to listen to like at all, not my band director didn't even know of, of female trumpet players that I could listen to. There was one really outstanding female trumpet player in the area. Her name's um, Ev Woodchick. She was a, a band director when I was in uh, middle school and high school. She's since retired and teaches privately. And, you know, she was it for me. You know, she, she was, she was like my, my lady trumpet player mentor when I was in, in middle school and high school. Um, but you know, I didn't, I didn't know about any pros at the time that, you know, I could really look up to and go, Oh, I want to do that. Um, you know, not to say that there weren't people in the nineties doing that because there obviously were, but, um, it's just that my, my perspective being in Northern Michigan and in a small school district with a band director who was unaware of these people made it so that I wasn't aware of those people. And, you know, I'm grateful for the chance to share my story and to share my perspective because maybe there's another, another tiny person in the middle of nowhere who is picking up a trumpet and going, Oh, that person's like me. I can do this. This will be fun. And then they'll go do it. And yeah. hopefully the world will be a better place. Yeah, well, it's that it's that identification thing. I mean, it, that's so critical that yeah, you got to find someone that you identify with because that that's going to give you that moment of like, yeah, I can do that. And some of it's ego driven, but it's ego in the positive way because I'm like, okay, yeah, if if they can do it, pff, I, I could do that. You know, I'm not gonna let them show me. I'm gonna yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, that yeah, yeah it's it, it's that little motivation to work because. Um, you know, if, if you're always looking at things like, you know, if you're, if you're a woman and you don't see any other women playing the kind of music you want to play and you know, all you see are, you know, males or, you know, in the case, you know, or maybe there's just white males or maybe it's just, you know, whatever it is, you know, you see that and you go, well, I can't do this because I'm not like that person. Like, you know, if the top 10 trumpet players in the world are white males and you're a, 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 a woman of color, you're going to go, I can't do that. So, I mean, that's, that's why it's so the, the times that we're living in right now, this is so, 
amazing, you know, regardless of, of people's political uh, slants. But, you know, like the, the fact that that, uh, well, hopefully by the time this episode airs that they've you know settled who actually won the election. Um, There's a woman of color in the White House. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I so the day that they called the election, um, I was coming back from the grocery store and I had asked one of my um, my trumpet students, um, she, she's my dog sitter and I needed some extra help around the yard and the house and stuff. And I had asked her to come by and help me with some stuff. And, uh, I had left to go get supplies to help like in the yard and, and whatnot. And I came back and I like, I couldn't even get the stuff out of the car. I'm like, there's a woman in the White House. <laughs> I was like, so, so excited. And not only is there a woman in the White House, but she's a woman of color and Mike Pence just lost his job to a woman. Okay. Let's just, let's just be happy about that for a minute. Uh, no, but you know, it's, it's, it's a thing. So, you know, even, even for like, you know, we go back to the Obama administration, um, you know, uh, whether people agree with his politics or not, hey, that you know that that's on you. But for a large majority of you know black Americans to be able to say, hey, you know, I can relate to the president of the United States. For once in my life, I can relate to the person that's in the White House. So having you know a woman, you know, I, I think that that that's so important that uh, when people in high positions, whether it be, you know, obviously the president is, is, you know, the president, vice president, that's, that's pretty big stuff. Highest office in the land. But I mean, it's the, you know, the, you know, playing lead trumpet with the, the jazz ambassadors or, you know, being, uh, you know, in whatever position it is, you know, when, when you can see somebody in that position that you can relate to, that makes all the difference in the world because, uh, you know, you, you opened up the door, like you said, you know, you open up the door for someone else who is going to be able to say, Hey, this is something that I can do. And you never know where the next great player is going to come from. So that I, I think I, and I, I try to take that. Uh, I don't want to say too seriously, but I do try to take that seriously. I try to keep that in consideration that, you know, the things that I do are maybe inspiring, uh, someone else, you know, whether it's, you know, a minority, whether it's, you know, from, from uh, like my, my perspective of, of you know, being a, a cancer survivor or whatever it is that, that you know, is a, uh, that's happened in my life, good or bad. It's like there's going to be somebody that relates to it. So every time I put myself out there, it tries to be how can I inspire somebody else? How can I inspire someone that's, that's experienced the same things I have in my life? How can I show them how to take those supposed negatives and turn them into a positive? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, negatives can be such incredible motivators. Um, I mean, I think, I think you and I probably have a, a similar list or a, a similarly long list anyway of, you know, the times that, you know, we came, we came up against obstacles that would shut other people down. And I, you know, I personally, and obviously you do too, just go, uh, uh-uh, not today, not today. <laughs> <laughs> and we just, you know, we power through and we find, we find a way to make that a motivator. We find that a way to make ourselves better. Not um, on and- my watch. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know? Um, so yeah, that, that was one of my, like, you know, most ardent hopes with the Ted talk is that I could empower 
women in higher ed to speak up about the things that had, you know, happened to them and be like, yo, you're not alone. This is happening to all of us and it's wrong. And now we need to talk about it. Um, but also, you know, people with what are called disabilities. These are not disabilities, they're superpowers, you know, and then representing female musicians, you know, just because I am a female does not mean, excuse me, that I can't do the job. I, uh, I actually told on the TED talk, I told this, uh, one of the, one of the many stories I have about how Jay would refer me for a gig. And then the contractor would all of a sudden need my entire resume. But if he had had, if he had just said, Alex, my buddy, Alex is going to come play the gig and not mention my gender, that it would be fine. Um, Those are stories that are told in the wings. Those are stories that are told from person to person. Like, oh, that still happens. Damn, that's really sad. I'm about to tell it on a national platform. So hopefully those contractors will put their tail between their legs and stop doing it. You know, like stop being that way. Just because a person is not a male or not a cis male does not mean they're not a great musician. So knock it off. Just let people play music. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's funny, you know, we, we've come so far in so many ways, but still there's so many people that are just hanging on to these these old paradigms and you know we're never going to get to that next level uh as a society you know in the in the bigger sense and and then in the in the macrocosm but then also in the microcosm of you know whether it be higher education or or the music industry or things like that we're never going to get to where we could be if we're still holding on to the way things were it's things you know shit's got to change i agree i agree and i think I think the more courageous we can be in telling our stories, those of us who have have exemplary stories to tell, or even, you know, just any story, whatever. It doesn't have to be a particularly exemplary story. That's silliness. But, you know, the more we bring to light these things that are often swept under the rug, the more likely it is that we are we will see change sooner. Um, you know, because they're in higher ed anyway. I mean, I feel like the music industry... God, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud. Um, I feel like the music industry is actually ahead of higher ed in terms of its regard regard for gender. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, as far as I can tell, and I've asked around, I'm certainly not the only person who's experienced the things I've experienced in higher ed. Um as a woman and just having every, every manner of roadblock placed in my way, just like, here, do your job, but here, do your job. (laughs) Like, let me put all this stuff in your way so you can't do it. Um, You know, those are the stories that people are afraid to tell because they're afraid of retaliation because we don't have tenure. And it's just like, at this point, um, it doesn't look like I'm going to get tenure anytime soon. So I may as well just blow the whistle on you guys. And maybe just maybe me blowing the whistle will draw some like attention to this and maybe it'll change because I don't have tenure. So it's not like I have anything to lose necessarily, but you know, I kind of would like to still make a living, (laughs) you know, um, it puts you in a unique position to blow some whistle, to spill some tea. Yeah. Uh, you know, l- let me ask you this, is, and this has maybe something to do with, with uh, you know, the, the sexual discrimination that goes on in, in higher learning, but um, not particularly. I mean, it, it, but here's, here's, here's my, my thing on this. I feel like the, the educational system, whether it be the music educational system or just the general educational system, is really broken. 
You know, we, 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 <laughs> you can start me out and don't get me on the soapbox. Yeah, we, we, we I will sit here for another hour and a half and I will uh, talk about this. Uh oh, like, we might so, have might have to have a third third visit, Lexi. I I know, I know. You are so right. You are so right. So okay, one of my jobs at the university is to teach intro to music education. And in this course, I outline all of the different teaching philosophies and different um, different ways uh, various psychologists and educators have come to uh, organize the educational art and best practices regarding music education. Almost in almost every lesson, I have to say, okay, even though this is the best practice, even though this research says this, it will probably not apply in your classroom because of this administrative BS. And they, and like my class just goes, but why, why, <laughs> why can't we just do what's best for the students? Why is that a not, not an option? No, 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 it's totally an option. I'm just saying that there's gonna be an administration, uh, an administration somewhere that is probably gonna try to get in your way about it. And you're so right that education is broken. And I actually just had this, this discussion with one of my private students who is an aspiring music educator. Um, and we were talking about how the pandemic has really demonstrated to our society at large how broken the system really is. When your entire life depends on you shipping your kids off to a teacher to be a daycare person, to be a counselor, to be a parent, to be all of these jobs, y'all don't pay teachers enough. And I love how I love how many people went from oh, teachers are saints. We don't te we don't pay them enough. Oh my gosh, uh, this pandemic, blah blah blah, to another shutdown. No, 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 no. I'm not spending another minute with my kid. Oh no. Oh, oh, isn't that interesting? Maybe you should have done some parenting in the first place, and then that would not be an issue. But when you farm out your parenting to people who are not actually parents, that's what you get. Um, so there is that aspect of the broken system. But the other thing about education in this age that we're living is that we've gotten away from teaching what it is important for each person. And we, the education system at large, teaches how to pass standardized tests because the goal of education is no longer to build a holistic, like a whole, a whole person. Right. Twelve years. Like it doesn't really matter whether or not you remember the quadratic equation. What matters is can you balance a checkbook? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Can you can you change a tire and maybe make your breakfast that morning? Like those things have been ripped away from our school system in the elementary ages, they are taking away recess. It is a fundamental human need to move. It is yep. a fundamental human need to interact and be a part of a community and build friendships. That's what recess is for. <laughs> like, and that's, that in my opinion is what has, has really led education astray is they've taken the humanity out of it. Mm -hmm. and, and I think what this pandemic has really taught us is that when we are given the option to be humans again, we thrive. And the people that are going out of their way to educate others online or to take 
classes online, whether they be dance, whether they be martial arts, whether it be science, math, robotics, whatever, they are finding deeper human connection in those spaces because they are not you know, overshadowed by some sort of government entity that says that they have to pay pass a standardized test on whatever it is that they're studying. They're just studying because they like it. Yeah. And they're learning from people who like to teach it. Yeah. And I think that is going to be the paradigm shift that completely just changes the way we view education and the way we do education in this country. And I think it's going to happen really, really fast. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's so interesting because, you know, you, you, you look at all the different parallels, again, the kind of the, the microcosm and macrocosm of things that, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, the, the government or whether it be the universities, which uh, they, they have a lot of parallels there, honestly. Um, but we have these, these ideas of what things should be. And we never, you know, we become so beholden to the institution that that we will we will kill to keep the institution alive we will let people die to keep the institution alive but whether it's you know the education system whether it's the economy you know you if if you save the economy but the people die the economy goes away if the economy went away but people still are alive Guess what? You can rebuild an economy. You can create a new economy. But the economy ain't going to bring no people back. Oh, yeah. And imagine rebuilding an economy full of people who are well-trained and concerned with the well-being of their fellow people. You know, like imagine what that might be like. Nah, nah, we have one. I know, I know, I know. It's so human. Oh my gosh. The person who identifies as an intellectual alien who is like trying to understand humans and put here, you know, like out of place. Like that's one of the many ironies of this. Yeah, damn snowflake. I know, right? Oh my god. No, but I, but that's the thing. It's, it's, it, and, and I say, you know, like if we go, you know, bring everything back into the, the, our, our little universal trumpet, you know, so many people, people and talking about like routine and things like that, so many people get locked into this tradition. They get locked into, well, this is the way it was and this is the way it was before that. And then, you know, we're going to maintain this and not seeing that there's a level of evolution. Um, I, I was, uh, yeah, I, I try to avoid these conversations as much as possible. Well, not these conversations, but like on the online when people are, are posting things about like equipment, you know, I try to stay out of those as much. But, Gosh, don't even, don't yeah, even. Yeah. But someone had posted something about, you know, well, why are, why are people so enamored with, you know, changing mouthpieces and, you know, the, the, the old greats, you never saw them change mouthpieces. And of course that started a whole shit show of, you know, you know, this person did blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and my thing is, well, yeah, well, well, if you've if you've been playing the same mouthpiece for twenty years, okay, if it's working for you, okay, that's fine. But the question is, has your body or and have your abilities changed in those twenty years? Because if there's been some level of change in the system, something else needs to change. It doesn't need, it mean it has to be a drastic change, but you know, um, how many people have gone through? Uh, yeah, they had to change mouthpiece sizes like uh, like Bud Herseth. You know, you, you have something happens. He had an accident. Okay, that's why I played a bigger mouthpiece. It wasn't because that, you know, playing a 1C is the magic bullet for being an orchestral player. 
it's because he couldn't play. He physically could not play on the size that he was playing on before that. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, I agree. Um, and the other thing was um, availability. You know, there's like that historic context, like not, I mean, there were not nearly as many boutique companies available, you know, 50, 60 years ago as there are now. So like, yeah, the options have changed. Why would you not use that to your advantage? That's just silliness. Yeah. Um, regarding the, the um, sort of the preservation of the old system philosophy, um, we find that, I mean, I think anybody and anybody under the age of 40 <laughs> in higher ed would likely uh, chime in and say, yeah, uh, we can't train musicians in the same way that we could 20 years ago. You know, 20, it's more than that now. It's, it's like 40 years ago. You know, you can't be a one trick pony anymore. Like that's, that's where trumpet pedagogy was at the turn of the century. Like, oh, you're a classical player or you're a jazz player. And if you're a jazz player, you don't go to school. You just go play jazz. If you're a classical player, you go to school and you study with these teachers and you get lessons in these places and then you audition and then you get your job and then you live happily ever after as an orchestral player. That does not happen anymore. <laughs> you are damn lucky if it ever happens. Yeah. And so we as collegiate educators are not in the business or should not be in the business of making clones of ourselves if we are of that ilk. We need to make players who are versatile, who can survive in this current music, musical economy. Players who understand how to, use, how to teach Zoom lessons, how to take Zoom lessons, how to audition online, how to record themselves, how to manage, you know, like all of their music in a PDF reader on a tablet. Like those are the modern skills that our, our musicians really need, not to mention the actual musical skills of being able to play every genre, not, not just most genres. No, no, no. You should play all of them yeah. because the more you can say yes, the better the chances are that you're going to eat and yeah. continue to eat. <laughs> yeah. Especially because the days of, you know, having all of those avenues to play in. I mean, like I can remember when I was in school, I mean, which, you know, was many years ago, uh, but you know, it, it's like, okay, yeah, you could have a, you could have a gig playing with an orchestra. You could have a gig touring with a band like Woody or Maynard or, you know, Canton, uh, you know, there were, the circuses were, you know, touring and they needed players Broadway, you know, all these things. So there, there, there was tons of opportunities to play by the eight, the late eighties that started to dwindle the nineties less 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 and now you know you're seeing a, especially like when you're talking about like zoom and things like that and technology uh the pandemic has has created this shift where you know as live playing uh has disappeared you know everybody that i know that that's that's working the majority of people that i know that are working they're working because of their ability to record at home bingo that you know, so they're able to record. They've got quality gear. They know how to utilize it. And so they're able to work, you know, it, but if, if you're like, if somebody calls you up and says, hey, can you do a session? And you go, well, I've, I've got this, this SM57. <laughs> you know, it, it, no, it, it's not going to work, you know, so it, it's understanding that, that there is a shift that has to occur. And the more that you can say yes. The more you will eat. Yep. 
Well, Lexi, we're going to wrap things up here shortly. We have to do uh, our obligatory Rapid Fire! Rapid Fire, brought to you by our good friends at Robinson's Remedy, the Robinson's Remedy. Rapid Fire! All right. Kenny sponsored this? Kenny Kenny is my sponsor for this. Kenny is my bro. Thank you, Kenny. This will be fun. We love Kenny. We love Kenny. All right. Here we go. Lexi, your best and quickest answers to the following questions. Number one, who's the biggest influencer in your life who's not a trumpet player? Tim Ferriss. What is your favorite book? Uh, recent or all time? Um, 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 favorite book, favorite book. Um, most influential book is The Power of Love by Rhonda Byrne. Okay. Uh, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Repo, the genetic opera. Okay. Terrible. All right. Recommend if you want to just laugh and cry, just like at how awful it is. Okay. All right. If you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? An attorney. What's your favorite drink? Manhattan. You can have a dinner party, invite any three living people. Who would they be? said living living now my whole deal is shot um <laughs> three living people um bet midler uh, obama and elton john mm, okay that'd be a cool dinner party uh now to make you happy. Dinner party, any three people from history. Okay. Um, well, Robin Williams, Freddie Mercury, and um, historically, oh, I would like to ask, who would I like to pick their brain? Probably Thomas Edison. Mm, okay. Lacquer plated or raw? Ooh. Plated. Mm. Platinum. <laughs> I like my silver horns. What can I say? All right. What's your favorite quote? Ooh, uh, do your thing and I shall know you. Ralph Walter, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Mm, okay. Uh, what's your greatest fear? To not be remembered. You could only have one superpower. What would it be? Foresight. What aspect of trumpet playing do you think is the most overrated? High notes. What aspect of trumpet playing do you think is the most underrated? Flexibility. You could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be? You are the music. You are the music. Okay. Uh, and you're going to give yourself one piece of advice about life while you're back there. It's going to be okay. Okay. And finally, Lexi, what do you want your legacy to be? Pay it forward always, and the world will become a better place. 
All right. Well, Lexi, as always, it is a privilege and a pleasure to hang with you, my friend. And uh, liking the new haircut, uh, that's very, the new quaff, yeah. It's so much less maintenance than the long, long hair. I could just, zip, done. Yeah, I, I understand that. I completely right? understand I mean, that. Yeah. Like, out of your book, just boop. Yep, exactly. Uh, so, uh, if you want to check more out about Lexi, you can certainly follow her on all of, uh, you're on mostly all of the social media platforms, uh, Facebook. I, I am on all of them. I technically am on Snapchat, but I never use it. But um, we didn't even talk about my TikTok fame. Oh, I, <laughs> oh, I guess we're going to have to have episode three. With oh, you. Okay. Well, the TikTok fame has nothing to do with Trumpet, so we could just talk about it sometime. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that for sure. Uh, so uh, if you want to follow Lexi, see what she's up to, please do so. Uh, she's got some some tremendous stuff. Very entertaining. If you haven't seen any of her uh, video stuff, that is definitely very entertaining. So uh, and a, a great teacher and a great player and a great person. So once again, Lexi, thank you very much. And thank you for taking time out of your day to hang with us. So remember, it's all just fun <laughs> just have fun play hard play well and peace and slide grease we out hey thank you so much for hanging with us today this podcast is all about creating connection through our mutual love for the trumpet life i hope that you learned a few things about today's guest and had some laughs along the way don't forget to give us a review we love those five-star ratings and please share this podcast with your friends. We want to see our hang grow for show. Have a suggestion for a future topic or a guest? Hit me up at thetrumpetgurus at gmail.com. Our opening theme was written and performed by Lexi Signor, and all other music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. So in the words of W.C. Handy, life is like a trumpet. If you don't put anything into it, you don't get anything out. So go out there and let your trumpet sound. And I'll see you at the next hang.